John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hi, this is Steve. Almost since the beginning of The Cinephiles, people have been asking us, when are you going to tackle the Marvel Cinematic Universe? After all, the Marvel movies have broken box office records, introduced the world to a seemingly endless cast of amazing characters, and fundamentally changed the film industry. And yet, up to this point, we've only discussed one MCU film on the show, and that was four years ago when we explored the one that started it all, Iron Man. Still, while John and I are certainly interested in talking about these movies, after all, we're both fans, we just weren't sure of the right way to tackle them. Well, guess what? We finally have a plan, and we're going to announce that plan live this Sunday, June 20th at 3 p.m. Pacific time on our YouTube channel. But we're actually going to do more than that. You see, we recently got a short suggestion from one of our patrons, Jack Pews, who, in addition to being a fan of the cinephiles, is also a fan of the Top Ten Show, where he recently heard John and his partner, Matt Nost, list their Top Ten MCU movies. Now, Jack was curious about my top 10, and John thought that discussion sounded more like an episode of The Cinephiles Live. And so that's exactly what we are going to do. And if you're interested in some of our other Cinephile shorts, there are now over 80 of them available on patreon.com slash the Cinephiles, including this week's short on classic live-action Disney films. So that's live-action Disney films on Patreon right now. And this Sunday at 3 p.m. Pacific time on our YouTube channel, we will not only be discussing my top 10 MCU movies, but announcing the Cinephile's plan to tackle the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss this. Hey, hey, welcome everybody to another episode of the Cinephiles Live here on the Cinephiles YouTube channel. I am one of your co-hosts, 
I am the outlaw, John Roca, joined as always by my co-host on the Cinephiles, the man who leads us usually when we do our episodes, but, uh, you know, he's cool with me leading these Cinephiles Lives episodes. Steve Morris, how are you, man? How are things? How are you feeling? I, I am very good. I'm not just cool with you being in charge of Cinephiles Live. <laughs> I am grateful. I am relaxed. I feel that I am in excellent hands. And me, um, so I'm absolutely thrilled. <laughs> yeah, we're a lot of fun here talking about this. Thank you very much for the uh, for that compliment. But we are we're going to be talking about Marvel today. For those of you who uh, maybe missed the thumbnail, missed the title of this video, or missed all our various social media posts today, we are going to get in to our love of Marvel, or maybe kind of lukewarm feeling about Marvel. Also, talk about the, how Marvel these Marvel movies have affected our cinema. You know, Steve and I love to talk about the history of cinema when we do our cinephiles episodes and so now kind of exploring this marvel stuff uh, as well plus steve will reveal to us his top 10 uh mcu films we've already talked about that on the top 10 show and that kind of sparked an idea somebody responded sparked an idea here about doing this as a possibility so we're gonna do that and we're also going to get into some announcements some big announcements for the show as well as we go along throughout this episode so thank you all so much for joining us live as we jump into this uh, world of marvel and world of films we'll be on maybe for the next hour and a half so please feel free to send in your stream labs and your super chats as we go along we'll have those up to read as well uh steve you are uh, it's a father's day for you happy father's day first of all well, thank you oh you're welcome you're welcome you've, you've spoken about your son a number of times here on the cinephile speaking about how you've introduced him to certain films and how he's the barometer for certain films it's a certain does it still hold up you want to see if your son likes it as much as you did growing up so have you introduced him as a father to any of the marvel movies yet or are we not at that uh, stage of his uh, uh cinephile's education yet the, the answer is yes. I oh. decided I wanted to at least get him to Endgame. So uh, wow. we, we basically watched the movies that I thought were necessary to get him there. So, right. you know, so the three Avengers movies, Winter Soldier, Civil War. Um, uh, he, he had seen Guardians of the Galaxy already, which he loved. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Thor Ragnarok. Like those are the ones that was like, it was necessary for him to see that in order to understand what the hell was going on in Endgame. Right. Um, what's so funny, and it's just like you can't predict what your kid is going to do or what yeah. they're going to like. In particular, I can't predict what my kid is going to do or like. Is that <laughs> I, if my dad was like, hey, buddy, I want to sit down and watch a bunch of science fiction comic book stuff with you. I would be like, oh, my God, really, dad? <laughs> I, I have been trying to get him to watch like Doctor Strange for a year. Wow. Like, hey, Jax, you want to watch Doctor Strange? You want to watch a Star Wars movie? I tr I wanted to uh, rewatch because I'd seen them. I haven't seen the last season, but I wanted to watch Clone Wars. Right. And so I said, let's you and I together, father and son, watch all of Clone Wars. Right. And we watched the first two, which he liked. And then I'm like, okay, let's watch the third episode. He's like, eh. Wow. It is so hard. I mean, part of it is my kid's particular ADHD the oh, I way see. his the way his brain works. He, right, it's not that he can't focus on a movie. If you turn a screen on, he's a hundred percent in. Right, it's that him understanding what he wants is hard. So it's, it literally will be like, here, have a cookie. And he's like, no. 
oh, you have a big fight. And then he eats the cookie and he's like, oh my God, this is, he'll go like, this is heaven. I have heaven in my mouth. Wow. And then the next day you'll go, hey, I got another of those cookies. And he'll go, no. <laughs> you'll have the same fight. It's like, no, remember yesterday where oh, you wow. said it was heaven. And no, it's just back to, uh, it's back to the same thing. So, so getting him into things is actually harder than you would expect. Wow. Um, some, someone in the chat asked, how old is my son? He is turning 10 years old in a week. Shout out to him. Shout out yeah. to him. 10 years old already. It's hard to believe 10 years have gone right. by since he's uh, uh, walked the earth. That's pretty incredible stuff. Uh, Steve overall for sure um and are has he had does he have a favorite yet is he into one in particular or is he still kind of uh, navigating that situation for himself does he make you turn on one in particular that he loves or no I think uh, the the movie that is the most consistent biggest hit is the one movie I couldn't put on my list but would be number one which okay. is Spider-Verse Oh, right, right, because it's not I, in the MCU necessarily. It's not right. technically in. I think not only do I think is that the best movie about a Marvel character, it might be it might be my top superhero movie ever made. Well, yeah, that's a fair, uh, fair uh, it's point. It's so damn good. Top it to really bottom, is. it is so good. Yeah, you're not yeah. wrong about that. Absolutely. I agree with your son, and I agree with you on that. You know, we've been going through these uh, MCU rewatch on the stereo app, the yeah. Lady Outlaw and I. And, of course, Spider-Verse is not in the MCU uh, string of movies, uh, but a number of fans have recommended to her to watch it. And she's not the biggest Spider-Man fan. She's never really been into Spider-Man much at all, but she did enjoy Tom Holland's uh, uh, moments in Civil War, and we right. just finished doing um uh guardians of the galaxy volume two so the next film is spider-man mm. homecoming so i'm going to be curious to see what her overall feeling is about this full-on movie with tom holland as spider-man and what everything that and michael keaton and all of that that's going to happen in the mcu to see her responses to it all so i'm going to be very very curious for sure uh yeah so we, but we're going to get into the mcu movies here and talk about them as we go along as i said the Streamlabs Super Chats are open. I just pinned the Streamlabs address to the chat. It's also in the description of this video, so we'll read your comments, read your thoughts as we go along in this uh, video. And as I said, we're going to have some big announcements that are that are connected to the show coming up throughout the movie. So uh, throughout the show, rather. So let's uh, jump into this, Steve, full on uh, uh, about Marvel. What has been your experience as we've gone through, what, 13 years now of Marvel movies? We're on the precipice of Black Widow coming out in just a couple of weeks. Uh, we've got Eternals coming out uh, later on this year. We've had the uh, the uh, Disney Plus Marvel shows already, WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Now we're two episodes into Loki as of this recording. What is your feeling overall about how Marvel has progressed since 2008's uh, Hulk and Iron Man? It is so nuts. And I mm. just think like we should take a moment to appreciate what we would have felt like if you had come to us in 1987 oh. and uh -huh. said, hey, guys, listen, 30, 40, 30, 40 years from now, <laughs> the <laughs> biggest movies in the world will be Marvel movies. And not only that, but there will be like the Guardians of the Galaxy will have yeah. their own film. Yeah. Loki will have his own TV show. There's going to be a TV show of Scarlet Wish the Vision. It's like we we literally would not believe it. it I know. I mean, and I remember, I don't know if you remember the quote unquote Marvel movies that came out in the late 80s, the Oof. Captain America movie. And yeah, they are horrendously heinous. Yeah, you're talking about Red Brown. 
You're talking yeah. about David Hasselhoff as the Punisher. Yeah, you're talking about this is the way that executives and maybe Steve, this is a great thing you just brought up about your son. Like these are how these exec, these dads who wouldn't watch stuff with their kids really understood exactly. superhero stuff with their kids were looking at superhero products. But a new generation had to come in as executives, as creators, as directors, as actors, as producers to come in and change that entire point of view and have a love for these properties, for these franchises in order to bring them to life. And Kevin Feige central amongst all these people to make it happen. Well, I think it's the, the, the narrative about comic books up until let's say 20 years ago or 25 years ago was this is kid stuff. It will rot your brain. Mm -hmm. Only dumb kids watch it. Comic books are dumb. And and that is why, like, comic books were confiscated from kids. My comic books were confiscated in school. Right, like, you'll get right. this back at the end of the semester, and then you never did. It's why my grandmother threw away his entire 1940s Oof. and early 50s DC comic book collection on his first day of high school. Oh! it's Yeah, right? Oh, the money! <laughs> um, oh, my God. It's yeah. just insane. And, 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 and yet, what I know and what you know is that the kids who were into comic books when we were kids were the smartest kids in the room. Right. Like... Yeah, and, and we knew there was, and I can remember having these conversations with my parents of going, particularly post Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen, right? When and and then as things like Sandman came along and these comic books of going like, no, this is art, like this yeah. is this is beautiful writing and amazing artwork, and and still the perception was kid stuff, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's a great point. Sorry, go ahead, Steve. Go ahead, finish your point. Well, and I was just going to say, what's so weird now is it's weird to have the thing that you love that you had been, you know, evangelizing for years suddenly adopted by the mainstream, which is awesome. And then it's kind of like, but it used to be my special private thing that nobody else, you know. (laughs) This is the game. This is the game always, isn't it? You're like, hey, this is mine. This was my territory. And I I found like-minded people who agreed with me about these things. But we were an exclusive club. We felt like we were a little bit better than everybody else. Even though we were probably getting beat up by everybody else, we felt this was something exclusive. We earned the right to uh, support this and promote this and feel a connection to it. And then all of a sudden, yeah, everyone grabs onto it. It becomes a massive thing. Uh, and now you're just like, well, okay. Even the school quarterback now or the head high school cheerleader yep. is con- is considering themselves a nerd now and doing all the things that they're doing. Uh, and you're right. It's a complete utter change. But of course they were always wrong that generation when they said that about our comics, yeah. because the eighties had, uh, like you said, Watchmen, the 80s had Dark Knight Returns, the 80s had a number of graphic novels into the 90s, into the 2000s that were real uh, in-depth exploration of our politics, of our social justice, of our approaches to the world the, through the prism of these right. heroes. And it was great to use their stories as the launching point for these uh, uh, for these graphic novels to tell a more topical story that affected all of us. You know, I just came up with the perfect analogy for the mm. nerd feeling, which is, and you'll appreciate this. Yeah. Major League, the three guys <laughs> who are sitting with the drums yeah. all alone in the stands, that's us, yeah. you know, saying comics are great. <laughs> and then and then suddenly at the, the, the team is winning and everybody shows up at the stadium. Right, right. And it's right. like, hey, we were here for, but one, one thing I have to say that's funny about it is, 
I really did stop reading comics in the mid nineties mm. because I, I was collecting, I was a serious collector yeah. and in particular, I really, you know, mostly a DC guy. And so like, you know, you could see behind me, there's a whole bunch of comic book boxes and I have pretty much every Superman comic from like 1963 yeah. until the mid nineties. And at that point, I started film school, and there were so many comics. There were five Superman books and four Batman books and three Spider-Man books or whatever it was. Right. And I just I couldn't afford it. I was way too busy. Most of the books were fairly terrible. Yeah. And I just – and I, I literally went cold turkey. And so so the, the comics that I've read since then are – when Mike Vogel or a friend of mine says, dude, you have to check out this graphic novel. You have to check out this particular run on this thing and I'll read it. And right. there's been amazing stuff. Yeah. But I was not a current, really a current comic book reader when all these Marvel movies started to happen. Yeah. Um, I, I was, uh, I was still somewhat reading comics, but I wasn't anywhere near where I was like in the past, you know? Yeah. Right. I mean, the, my friend, Tiffany Smith, who I was, it was one of the first uh, people I worked with in this when I got into the sphere back in 2015. She was hooked up with DC, so she would mm. show up to our Star Wars show with like stacks or or bags of DC comics that they gave her to read and gave her to look at. And she, when she was done with them, she would bring them to me, and I would go through them and pick out the ones I'd want to read and some Marvel stuff as well. So it was great to have that access to comic books yet again. And you're right, Vogel was a big part of it as well for me too. Yeah. Whatever Vogel said was cool to read. I read or any of our friends who are into comic books uh, who we had would suggest certain comic books, certain runs like the Brian Michael Bendis Daredevil run. I read I right. tore through all of that, you know, at one Comic-Con. I just bought the whole stack or the Walking Dead books. You know, those are those things that you you bought and, and enjoyed uh, overall. But yeah, but like you in the 90s, I was focused on other things. Girls, uh, my career as an actor, uh, trying to get through the military, trying to get to college, trying all these things. And so comic books weren't necessarily where I went for the most part, but catching up on it now in retrospect has been a lot of fun uh, for sure overall. And ladies and gentlemen, I mean, we had to suffer with a lot of uh, Marvel movies before we got to what we got now. That's the thing that is uh, uh, crazy for some people to think about what we had. And, and, and Justin Toner is right to, cl to clarify for me. Uh, uh, Hasselhoff was Nick Fury. Dolph Lundgren was the Punisher. <laughs> right. That's the things that we had to deal with. We had Red Brown as a Captain America, but we did have the occasional stuff that would pop up. Like Blade was really good. Blade showed the potential mm -hmm, uh, of totally. what a comic book movie could do. And just two years later, we have 2000's X-Men, which now right. is, is, of course, it's Marvel, but now the X-Men are going to be at some point in the MCU as well so it seemed like we had to go through this wilderness of decades of of these marvel movies and these approaches by these executives steve where we had to hope and pray that something better would come along uh, and it wasn't it but in 2000 and 98 and 2000 give us a glimpse but it, it wasn't until 2008 that we really started hitting the ground running right. and we had had 89's batman we'd had 78 superman yeah. but it still wasn't enough to convince people fascinating yeah you know what i should say which i don't know that i've ever actually said on the cinephiles mm. is I would never have become a writer if it weren't for comic books. Comic mm. books is the first professional writing I did. And sure. it all started because a buddy of mine, Jeff Johnson, who's a fantastic artist, yeah. needed stuff to draw. And he was like, can you? Can we come up with a story? And we came up with the most ridiculous Batman <laughs> Nightwing story that for some reason we thought someone would hire this unknown people to do like the next, the 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 biggest epic 
changed entire yeah. continuity of Batman and Nightwing. And of yeah. course, they never did. But that's the first writing I did. The first thing I ever sold, the first writing I ever got paid for was for Green Lantern Core Quarterly. Nice. And right at, this is, begins my just shitty timing of all this stuff of like right after I sold that story is when Hal Jordan became a bad guy and they right. canceled the book. So my story oh. didn't make so. So I got paid for it, but it never came out. And right. then I did with Jeff this massive. It was going to be like a 20 issue Conan run. Mm. And then uh, Jeff got busy with other stuff. And Roy Thomas, who's the who had written Conan forever and was retiring, yeah. unretired. And so. Oh, wow. So that whole thing got dumped. And then I sold a series to Malibu Comics. This is in like 93 or 94. Mm. And so I had written the first three issues and the art and the, the artwork was almost done on the first issues. And Malibu got bought by Marvel and they canceled the series. And that's about where I showed up at film school and I just went, <laughs> okay, I'm going to focus on film. <laughs> so yeah, that was like, but the first I spent the, I spent maybe 91, 92 and 93 right. writing constant proposals for Marvel books for Captain America. I wrote Dr. Fate proposals. I wrote, you know, proposals for Superman stories for Batman stories. I wrote a whole daredevil series that I wanted right. to sell. Like that was, I was trying real, real hard to be a comic book writer for a really long time. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get it, dude, but it's, it's almost like you're that Michael Palin character in, uh, in um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I was like, I built the castle on and that <laughs> castle. Went, and I built a castle on top of that castle. And, it's like, and I built another castle. And that one stood straight up and that was the one that you're living in now <laughs> so very funny stuff so it sounds like that's the experience overall pretty much not yeah not an easy one to go through for sure um you know and we had some missteps also howard the duck was a misstep back then people were oh. thinking that could be a lot of fun of course howard the duck now a staple of the guardians of the galaxy universe uh, right. which is really fun to see overall so yeah we had to go through a lot of things uh, to kind of get to this point, we had to suffer through Ben Affleck's Daredevil. We had to suffer through Elektra, uh, with, which all had potential but didn't quite yeah. get there. Ghost Rider with uh, with Nicolas Cage. That was a, those terrible Fantastic Four movies, both the Tim Story version and the one we just got with Josh Trank. So we had to go through a lot of these things. And look, the X-Men franchise hasn't knocked it out of the park. Uh, their batting average is about 500 overall, you yeah. would say, which is not that great either. If that. So, if yeah. that right good point if that even the wolverine franchise you would argue the first two are not that good and then you get logan so you know you have to suffer through some things sadly with comic books uh, uh movies until you get to uh, uh what we're getting now so let's uh let's uh, take a look at this steve with uh with, oh first i've got a stream lab that came through here i want to give some love wiley todd he says, hey, John and Steve, I just want to say thank you for this podcast. It is my favorite of all time, and I have listened to the episodes more than once. It's funny to go back and listen to the big Blabowski because my voice is in the beginning. Thanks for everything. So very nice of him to say that. Thank you, Wiley Todd, that you have been a big you have been a big supporter of the Cinephiles for a really, really long time, and we definitely appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Good to see you, Wiley. Uh, D. Duvall says, my top ten are Game of Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor 3, Iron Man 3, Avengers. That hero shot still gives me chills. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Infinity War, Cap 1, Iron Man Civil War, and Endgame. So thank you very much for your list there. Uh, I think that's David Duvall. Um, Steve's going to be giving his list uh, in a little bit here. Uh, Steve, where would you like to go next in our conversation of Marvel movies and the MCU overall? 
Well, can can maybe we can tease one of our announcements? We have yeah, a sure. lot of announcements today. Let's do it. Let's do it. Here's the first one. Ladies and gentlemen, at the beginning of the year, we put out a survey, and there were all sorts of questions on the survey. One of them was, what's going to be the first movie of 2011 for us to do? We just mm -hmm. did it a month ago. That was Moneyball. One of the other big questions was, which one of our early films, early podcasts that we did when the show was an hour <laughs> would you like us to go do a serious deep dive and you made a choice and i am currently prepping it and i am curious for those of you who are watching this live stream which movie do you think it is what yeah. do you think we are about to redo and i'll give you a hint it's one of my favorite films of all time yeah, so I'm yeah, well, super excited about it. I would say it's one of our favorite films of all yeah. time. Absolutely agree with you. Uh, certainly one that people talk about all the time and enjoy. And so it's going to be great to revisit it. We're going to announce it here uh, in a little bit for sure. Uh, any other announcements you want to tease before we go forward? No, I'm, I could jump into some Marvel talk. The one thing okay. I should say, by the way, yeah, I have no idea how you do this every week. What do you, what I do you find mean? I find it so stressful to come up with a top 10 list because I'm going oh. like, because, oh, yeah, because I feel like, well, this is for posterity. Like right. I am saying I am writing in stone exactly how to prioritize each of these <laughs> films. I was agonizing over it. And uh, I'm still I'm looking at my list right now and I'm going, is that is that really my list? Like, is that what I and, that's and what the was, game? And what was so hard in particular was there are films that I think are important. Yeah. yeah. You know, that establish things that are really key to the whole MCU. Right. But I like less as time has gone on. Mm -hmm. And there are films that are less important, but I would rather turn on right now. Right. You know, like, you know, and so like, and I know you do the, I hear you and Matt talk about this every week of how do you balance, like, how do I approach this? Yeah. And, and the one thing I will say is I, I, I kind of discovered certain patterns in the MCU mm. that we'll, we could talk about as we sort of dig into this, but okay. it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, we've been doing it, we're doing it, what, for five years now, the top 10. So for for me, it's more a matter of like, what am I feeling right now? At the beginning, there were there were phenomenal battles between Matt and I about, you know, uh, what goes where and what have you. And I think you just kind of get used to it. And I kind of like the idea of making lists and right. uh, ranking them. I've always been a fan of that and battling about the lists. So I've just had a natural uh, enjoyment of that so it makes it easier to create those lists i'm always fascinated by the people like oh i can't pick a favorite movie i'm like what i have a favorite everything so i to me it does i i have a hard time like accepting that and just as much as those people have a hard time believing or accepting that people can right. list things in order from one to ten you know well, and I think for me, it's just like, I'm one of those, I, I can't, it's so funny, it's like, I can't pick a favorite, but I could discuss that film for two hours. <laughs> <you know? laughs> right, right. Always the toughest thing, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, all right, so Steve, what do you think has happened uh, to our cinema since 2008, since, uh, you know, uh, Iron Man, since uh, uh, Edward Norton's Hulk, The Incredible Hulk? And as Marvel has gone along, because I mean, you know, people might forget this, but it wasn't like Marvel was a sure thing from the beginning. And remember, Iron Man was done outside of a studio system. And Marvel Studios right. did it, but it was not under Disney. Uh, it was not under Disney until a little bit later. But both the Hulk, well, the Hulk, I think, was done in the studio, but the, uh, Marvel Studios did Iron Man. And that was kind of their first fully realized approach to what they wanted to do with the universe 
And it's really funny because doing these rewatches, I've seen that they had a bigger idea from the beginning of what they wanted to do. The question was, were they going to be able to do it? And certainly we've seen in comic book movies through the years, Steve, over the number of numerous decades, that there's seeds being laid in these comic book movies for what they hope will be sequels uh, that never come to fruition. So Marvel was in that position as well. But now they are so much a firmament of our cinema, a firmament, firmament of our movie-going experiences year after year that it's almost a shock when a Marvel movie comes out and isn't at least uh, somewhat of a good movie or makes a little bit of money overall for this. So what do you think? How, how do you think that has affected our cinema overall? I think what is so crazy is this thing that was inconceivable 13 years ago mm. is now the norm is just obvious. Yeah. And it's like, we were sitting there. I think we thought that, Oh, if only we were so desperate for anything good mm. to mm -hmm. be a comic book thing, you know, so 2000, uh, X-Men comes out, which I liked. I liked a lot, actually, at the time. Yeah. And go like, yeah, okay, that's the X-Men. <laughs> Everyone, hey, check it out. It's good. You know, the idea of actually doing in film what comic books have done forever, and Marvel, both both Marvel and DC have done this, of like a interactive universe mm -hmm. with history and continuity and characters that have backstories and that are evolving over time. Because this is the bit, I think one of the biggest differences between film and comics and one of the things that comics before tv was any good at this before game of thrones comics was good at the ongoing story the character yeah. that you were deeply involved in and wanted to follow them for, not for three stories or five stories but for years or decades yeah. and all these relationships and all of this continuity and all this history and so we just you look at superman 78 or you look at batman 89 and it's like they had a story and that was the end of the story Right. And then maybe you would have that character have another story. But I think it was inconceivable to me that you could translate this idea of a universe hmm. to film. That wasn't possible. And Marvel has not only shown that it's possible, but every other studio is going, how can we do this? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent you point, Steve. Yeah. I mean, you look at, I mean, you look at WandaVision, you look at Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and you look at like people are just clamoring for exactly what we loved about marvel comics to begin with which is you know the soap opera the characters and how they interact and all that stuff and now the whole world is sort of turned onto it and it is come i think it's fundamentally changed film yeah. in some good ways and in some not good ways you know okay what, what are some of the good ways uh and some of the not good ways in your opinion well, I think it's, I mean, first of all, I think in general, you know, you talked about the batting average of uh, some of these films. Yeah. In general, most series' batting average is pretty poor. Right. You know, the Star Wars movies, as much as I love Star Wars, that batting average ain't that good. Yeah. The James Bond movies, the, the batting average is really not that good. There are a lot of movies where you can look at them and go like, well, which is the good one? And I think the Marvel, the MCU batting average is really good. Yeah. You know, there's I don't think there's a really any I don't think there's any truly terrible film mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is just a piece of crap. You know, yeah. there are films that I think are much less good. And then there are a lot of films that are like, yeah, that was, that was good. I like yeah. it. It was fun. Yeah. Um, that's a good batting average. Um, I think the the problem is is that other companies who have tried to create a universe in some way, like the Harry Potter universe, mm -hmm. they just haven't had a very good they haven't made good films, 
you know? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You look at the situation, you look at that, and you have to go in comparison. I think that's one of the things that uh, the Marvel universe has influenced a lot of these studios to do. And we saw there was a little bit of a a run on this idea of creating a universe. You know, a a Power Rangers universe, a Transformers universe, right. a, a a DC Comics universe, obviously, uh, and what have you. But in the end, uh, this is an anomaly. So in some ways, I believe it has influenced cinema in the way that it's opening the door to these films being taken seriously. These costume characters being seen as more than just uh, children's stuff. And the fact that you've been able to attract a murderer's row of incredible actors to be part of right. your projects. And you can start with 2000s X-Men, of course, with with Patrick Stewart and with uh, with uh, Ian McCullen. Ian McCullen sure. Yeah, bringing such a gravitas and weight to their roles and to that project. Uh, and yeah, you can look at Anna Paquin, who's an Oscar winner. She's certainly in that movie as well. You got Hugh Jackman just starting out. Famke Jansen, who had established herself in the 90s. And James Marsden, who was kind of just coming on the scene a little bit. So you had that kind of beginning here. And where it went from there, you just waited around until you were hoping. Because X2 was good, too. And you were hoping the studios would catch on. But again, it's not till 2008's Iron Man. And you get Robert Downey Jr., who, by the way, wasn't Robert Downey Jr. at the time. He was, you know, kind of uh, in, uninsurable. He was coming off those uh, mm -hmm. multiple bouts with addiction. Uh, and what he was going to bring to the table here, who knew? And John Favreau, as a director, was stepping in. Yeah, he'd done Elf and Zarathustra, Zara, Zara something like that. But he wasn't really like, it's John Favreau, you know, yeah. now, which is now. So this, a lot of people work here, but who's the person they cast here to really kind of stabilize the film? Jeff Bridges. You know, this is a guy right. with weight, with gravitas, complexity. And then Gwyneth Paltrow, of course, coming in, Oscar winner Gwyneth Paltrow. Give, and then from there, you've seen them slowly build the pieces out and bring so many incredible actors through their halls uh, to who were already established or to be established through uh, their work in the Marvel Universe. I think that's been a really, really positive, as opposed to Transformers, who uses these great actors just for them to collect the paycheck and right. have some fun in a crappy film. But yeah, go ahead. Well, well what I was going to say is what, what's really crazy and is hard to remember at this point. Yeah. These were not the A-list superheroes. No, like when, oh, great when I hear yes. that Iron Man is coming out, it's like Iron Man, yeah. Iron Man. I mean, particularly in my era, and I think there were some some runs on Iron Man that were more popular in the late '90s and early 2000s. But True. Iron Man was like the third or fourth tier. You know, the yeah. big books, the books that when I was trying to break into comics, that every artist wanted to be on. The books that sold the most were the X books and Spider Man. I Those know, right. are the top top tier. And right. so here we have Kevin Feige in the MCU having characters that were in Daredevils, you know, huge, huge character. Like mm -hmm. those are the ones I was most interested in. Um, and MCU has to do it with characters that people were like, had been in the Marvel Universe for a long time, but maybe didn't have quite the cachet. Yeah. And yet Iron Man comes along and it's like they did it. And I agree. I think Robert Downey Jr. is absolutely inspired casting choice uh mm -hmm. ryan lee by the way writes that he has arguably the greatest celebrity comeback of all time ryan i think yeah. I, it's hard to argue against it i mean sure. it's amazing and yeah. i think he is pivotal pivotal to the marvel universe yeah absolutely i mean i think that's why he had such an incredible goodbye at the end of uh, endgame because he'd been such a, a foundational piece of the marvel universe and still Still now, the post-Tony Stark movies still have that feeling like he's there somehow. They either mention him 
or certain things reference Iron Man uh, sequences in certain movies. So you've got him still somewhat around this uh, um, universe. And in some way, a lot of people feel that he'll come back in some way uh, and some shape or form. If they, if they keep going with this deal with Spider-Man, if they sign a new deal to keep Spider-Man and Tom Holland in the MCU, there's a possibility that Robert Downey Jr. becomes the voice in Spider-Man's outfits or costumes or whatever as an AI. So there's all kinds of possibilities right. when you look at this uh, situation here. Uh, all right, uh, Steve, let's see here. Um, with uh, with uh, When do you want to start counting down your top 10 Marvel movies. How are you feeling? Do you want to take them like in sections or do you want to go sure. all 10 at do, once? We, what do we do? We got, we got a lot of announcements. So why don't we do, yeah. why don't we do sort of like you do on the top 10 show? We'll do our first, you know, the first three and then make an announcement and then yeah. do a little further, make another announcement. Um, by the way, one per, a couple of people in the chat asked, well, what were the choices of the early movies to redo? Ooh. Here are the choices that went out on the survey. So this will give you a little bit of hint. Yeah. It's a Wonderful Life, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Die Hard, High Noon, Touch of Evil, Reservoir Dogs, When Harry Met Sally, and then 1978 Superman. Mm. And I'll tell you one other thing. It was neck and neck between two of these films. <laughs> um, no and nothing else was really close. Yeah, no surprise um, overall. Uh, you want to hear my uh, my number yeah. 10? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. People, Man, already know it, it my, people already know mine, so go ahead. Go ahead. What so I, I'll tell you, here's one of the many ways I prepared for this, is I re-listened to your top 10 oh. episode. So I have yours and Matt's oh, list perfect. in my notes. Perfect. Because um, <laughs> I don't remember. So, so go ahead. Yes. Um, well, I, I'll tell you what your number 10 was. Your number 10 was yes. Spider-Man Homecoming. Ah, okay. Cool. Um, I like it. Here's here's what I found so interesting is that as I was going through the list, there are like six or seven movies that are obviously going to be on there. Right. And there are like six or seven movies that are obviously not going to be on the list. And it seems I was looking at people putting up their top 10 lists on social media when we announced this. Yes. And very consistently, there is seven or eight movies that everybody has on the list and, and seven or eight movies that never show up. And so those four or five in the middle... <laughs> was part of the really hard that's where i debated a lot and i finally decided i'm going to pick movies that i just think are the fun one that i want to watch that i would just put on and so there my number go. 10 is ant-man okay nice i i think paul rudd is as charming a person as you could possibly imagine i like the way the movie is made mm -hmm. i just think that movie is totally totally fun yeah i like it okay uh, I, I like that movie a lot, and certainly one of uh, Lindley's favorites at this point, the Lady Outlaws' favorites at this point in our watch-along. Uh, someone asked us yesterday on our stereo show, what's her top five right now? And Ant-Man made the cut. And we're, as I said, three or four movies into phase three, three of the MCU right now. Both Guardians of the Galaxy films and Ant-Man are in her top five. So Ant-Man is a great choice. Revisiting again, I fell back in love with the movie and really – back in love with paul rudd as ant-man for sure that he's just a joy for that film perfect cast. I, I, I think in a weird way paul rudd it's it's like what robert downey jr does maybe mm. not quite with the depth but yeah. i could watch paul rudd do just about anything he's right. just so charming and fun and funny um and i think they and plus you got michael douglas you know you got yeah. i mean it's it's a it's a really really well-made film yep Corey um, stole evangeline lily great stuff you're right yeah, yeah. Um, your number nine yes. was uh, Iron Man. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't hold up as strongly for me as it did 
uh, in the past, uh, but still deserves a spot on the top 10 list, in my opinion. Well, this is the thing is that uh, uh, Iron Man, well, Iron Man is, it's it's the foundation that everything else is built on. Um, My number nine is Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, okay. Well, close it up. I think Tom Holland is a joy. I mean, mm-hmm. I I don't think I think all three of the guys cast as Spider-Man actually did a pretty good job, but Tom Holland is my favorite. Yeah. He seems to capture the most of who I think Spider-Man is, and I think the Michael Keaton reveal might be the greatest surprise moment in the MCU. Yeah. Yeah, just it the, is the so look good. into the rearview mirror and they understand each other in that moment. And the fear. And you know what's great about that moment too, Steve? It's not just Spider-Man figuring out that this girl that he likes his dad is the villain, but it's also every teenager who gets that look from the dad yep. of the girl that they're interested in. You mix that in along with the fact that this dude and I might be going toe-to-toe life or death uh, as well. It's a, it's a great moment to have in the MCU. Well, and one of the th- they do one of the things that the MCU does so well over and over again is take a character that might not be a character that is necessarily the most beloved, yeah. like Vulture, right. and figure out a way to make us love that guy, be really interested in that character. Yeah. And part of it is casting someone like Michael Keaton, who is just amazing. Yeah. And the way they set up his story and who he is, you're like, oh, I, I get it. I understand. I'm with this guy, right. you know? And man, that the collision of those two characters, I think, is fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. Don't disagree. All right, what's your eight? Uh, well, your number eight. Oh, yeah, is uh, is Doctor Strange. Oh yeah. Um, um which is re- you know what? Ha- had I gotten my son to rewatch it with me, <laughs> maybe it would have ended up on my list. <laughs> I hadn't seen it in a long time. Fair. Um, I remember liking it a lot. Yeah. Um, but I didn't put on my list. My number eight is your number nine is Iron Man. Ah, okay. Yeah. You know, I and I agree with you. I think Iron Man holds up. I think the things that are great are still mm-hmm. great. I think some of the stuff is some of the plot stuff and how it's all working gets a little cheesy and some of the final battle. I mean, they don't have the budget or the expertise that they would have later on yes. for big Marvel battles. And so I don't think it's quite at that league, but I, I couldn't not have it on my list, right, you know, right? Because this is this is where Marvel, the MCU, comes from. Yeah, and I think it's deceptively still a damn good movie. I, and I would say that's how I would describe it—a damn good movie, because it is Tony's. It is uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. really bringing Tony Stark to life in a way that we never could have enjoyed him in the comic book pages. Right, and never saw him as this funny, quippy guy. Like Downey Jr. gives him this kind of vulnerability or connectability right. that he, Tony Stark never had in the comics. I don't care who was writing him. He was always portrayed as kind of like this detached, a, a-hole rich dude who just happened to be doing the right thing on this side of the ledger. Downey Jr. gave him a little more of an underdog status, a little more of an underdog feel. And Obadiah Stane, who a lot of people seem to bash as a villain in the MCU, which makes no sense to me at all. This is Jeff Bridges accessing a gear he rarely accesses in films and he is terrifying he is chilling when he puts that thing in his ear and puts his arm around him and he's like oh you think it It goes into that deep register voice it's so uncomfortable this is the dude and it's still he's got that uh, he's got that ability as an incredible actor to make you fear for your life and the family connection as the best friend of his dad makes it even worse you know I, I think Iron Man, you know, there's this time where, 
an actor owns a character and that yeah. becomes who that character is. I don't think anybody, I haven't read Iron Man comics, you know, since, mm. since the Iron Man movie, but my guess is nobody could write Iron Man comics from this point forward without right. thinking about Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. That is now who Iron Man is, yeah. you know, just like 78 Superman established so many things about who Superman was for the next 20 years, yeah. you know? Like it just was so critical and informed so many things. And I think that's what, what Robert Downey Jr. is. It's a good point, Stephen. So much so that people compare any Superman to that Richard Donner Superman and either like that it's different or get upset that it isn't the same in the same kind of atmosphere or vibe. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, that speaks volumes to your work. If it still resonates almost four decades later or over yeah. four decades later, for sure. Um, 100%. Listen, Tony Stark built this in a cave with a box of scraps. <laughs> so shout out to Obadiah Stain. All right, uh, Steve, where do we go to next on your list? What's next? Uh, my, uh, well, let's see. Your, your number seven is yes. uh, Civil War, Captain America oh. Civil War. Yes, yes. And my number seven is Captain America Civil War. Oh, there you go. Wow. All oh. right. Well, and here's the thing. So as I, cause I have to, I'm not good at making lists in order and ranking things, but I'm really good at dividing things into categories. Mm -hmm. And so here's one of the three categories that I came up with of what makes great Marvel movies. Okay. One of the three categories is the movie that can handle beautifully handle multiple characters and multiple st storylines and service them all perfectly. Yeah. And Civil War is the first of those, I think, where it just, how did you introduce Spider-Man and have, you know, the entire Winter Soldier plot and have the, you know, the uh, Segovia Accords and have all these things and have these great, like, just in terms of fight choreography, which mm -hmm. you know I love, that big battle, every single character fights in the perfect way for that character and yeah. has their great moments. I just think there are things about that movie story-wise that don't quite track i think both you and i are team iron man yes um um i i think i think captain america's motivation makes no sense and his actions are really bizarre i think yeah, yeah. um um but it but sometimes those odd actions and choices leads to an unbelievably dramatic final confrontation mm -hmm. you know between the three of them you know well, yeah, and Captain America gets away in this movie uh, with being a little bit of a selfish prick. Like, he is so desperate to hold on to the last vestiges of his past that he is willing to sacrifice his friendships, his connection with the rest of the Avengers, all of it, just to save Bucky and hide a little bit behind, well, he was mind-controlled. Well, yeah, it's probably true. Oh, obviously, it's true that he was mind-controlled, but... You, just, you can't get away with the devil made me do it. You just can't. You're like, you've got to come pay for your sins overall. And I think what he sacrifices and then says, oh, I guess I lied to myself that I was, you know, I was keeping you from, from harm and, or keeping you from knowing the truth about your family and hurting you. And it's like, nah, that's a cop-out excuse, pal. You just didn't have the guts to confront Tony and tell him the truth because you knew Tony was going to go off and probably try to kill Bucky and you can't have that because you need to still have a connection to somebody from the past. Instead of moving on with the fact that it's seven years later, let it go. You're still holding on to it in some way. Uh, and so I agree. Some of his decisions in rewatching it again, some of his decisions infuriated me overall, but I understand his point of view. It's just not a um, altruistic point of view, in my opinion. 
Well, the, here's my, my, I agree with that. And, and my feeling is, is regardless of anything else, Bucky is a killer. Yeah. He has killed many, many people and Captain America can go, I want to protect this guy or make sure that he gets a good shot because mm -hmm. it wasn't, he was mind controlled. It wasn't entirely his fault, yeah. but that's not exactly what he's doing. What he's doing is just saying, let's let this guy be free. And it's like, no, the guy killed a lot of people yeah. is, is that cap is as much as we can say cap believes in the dream of America. He's not a, you know, by do everything, my country, right or wrong. That's not the kind of guy he is. Yeah. But the reality is, is there are laws and there are rules and Bucky broke the laws. And it's like, you might, you need to bring him in. You might mm -hmm. then want to get him medical care and get him then released as he is later on. in you know, Falcon, mm -hmm. and the winter soldier, but I, it doesn't make sense to just go. He's it's, he's not responsible I'm yeah. I'm going to I'm going to have an entire war with the rest of the Avengers to protect like where's your loyalty to the other Avengers where's your you know yeah. like it just doesn't track for me. I would love to know what Cap would do if Bucky had killed Peggy. Mhm. Mm I would love to know cuz it's easy for Cap to do what he's doing cuz everybody that was killed was no one that was connected to Cap personally. And I would love to see what he would have done because you can never remove the emotional component from an argument like that when it comes to killing and murdering. You can never remove that. He killed his parents. Like, for that alone, Steve needs to ease up on the brakes a little bit and let this ha be handled between Iron Man and Bucky one way or another. Uh, and so he kind of cops out a little bit. But you're right, Steve. The movie carries a lot of weight. It launches... Uh, in essence, now, as we look back on it, as you said, Falcon and Winter Soldier, it also launches WandaVision. This idea of her guilt carrying over, it is what fuels WandaVision throughout the entire series. So it's incredible. Both that both these things were taking her and it introduces Black Panther and everything with yeah. Wakanda and all of that. So there's so much that this film carries on its shoulder shoulders and then gives us this awesome airport scene, as you said, Steve, where every character gets to fight and have their hero moment or fun moment that helps us to connect with them and enjoy them and we become 10 year old kids in the theater watching our comic books come to life right on the screen and they did it so so well i i totally agree i want to it's funny i've been looking at some of the things going in the comments and yeah. obviously a lot of discussion about bucky and stuff and uh, jonathan curry writes or Curdy writes, I will die on this hill. Bucky is not responsible. There's no part of him choosing to do the things the Winter Soldier was ordered to do. I 100% agree with that point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it isn't the fact that it isn't a question of whether or not Bucky is responsible. It's a question of what is the right thing for Captain America to do. And right. just saying, just protect Bucky. Like there was a there was a fine line Cap could have walked mm -hmm. of I'm going to bring this in, this guy in, yeah. but we're going to do it my way. And we're going to, because he's not responsible, but we have to deal with these issues. And, you know, and as you said, he should have had the guts to go to Tony Stark and say, listen, this guy was my best friend and he was yeah. mind controlled and he killed your parents. Right. And that is horrible. And I understand why you would want revenge, but I want to try to save him and get to the bottom of this. And, you know, I, I want to be your friend. There was a thing that, the best person in the Marvel universe, arguably Captain America right. could have done better than he did in civil war. But right. if he doesn't do what he does, then you don't get, I don't care. He killed my mom, which is a, right. a, an amazing moment in the film. So yeah. that's kind of, and I'll say, I just want to say one other thing about civil war, which is as a writer, I can't begin to tell you how 
difficult the level of difficulty of pulling this off was. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I, I, it's mind-boggling that they could keep all those balls in the air. Mm-hmm. And wait till we get to Infinity War and Endgame, where right, they right. quadruple the balls. Well, and the thing is, I am <laughs> here we go. And in my opinion, <laughs> um, as I've done as I've been doing these this rewatch uh, with the Lady Outlaw, I, I have found that Captain America is actually the perfect captain america for america and not for the reasons most people think which is oh he always does the right thing he's altruistic he's actually passive aggressive he's actually a little bitchy he (laughs) he wants to save only the people that he's connected to uh just like america sometimes well we'll protect our allies but your allies are doing terrible things well they're not in their right mind so you're seeing that he is actually very much a uh, a a a symbol of america both the positive and the negative that america does sometimes for its own personal interests in certain situations and rationalizes some of those things for their own personal interest uh and i'm definitely going to be doing a deep dive into captain america for one of my videos coming up here on the outlaw nation channel for sure because I like a lot of controversy. You know me. So uh, yeah. tearing apart Captain America would be a lot of fun for sure. Uh, that's an interesting, interesting point. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our number sixes, man. What do you got? Well, before we do that, why don't we make another announcement? Oh, sure. So, let's do it. So uh, we do it at uh, five, but if you want to do it at six, we can. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to. Well, we got, we probably, I'm Go sorry, John. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying. A logical halfway point. point. A logical halfway point would make sense. That's all. But we can stop here if you want and make the announcement. We are 50 minutes into the show. So what announcement do you want to make, my friend? Um, well, we lost the great Ned Beatty, as everyone saw recently. Yeah. And uh, we have done not one, not two, but I believe three Ned Beatty films in the course mm-hmm. of the cinephiles. We're going to release all three this week with new intros. And what I'm really hoping is that Michael Vogel, the very first guest on the cinephiles for like our third or fourth episode, yeah, which is the original so. 1978 Superman, will come back because I would love to revisit that film with Michael. It's now five years later. You know, there's been so much DC, there's been so much Superman, and I think it will be really, really nice to talk about that. So that's what's coming up this week. Network, Deliverance, and Superman, All and which, by the way, I have to say, if you want an explanation of why Ned Beatty is an incredible actor, just look at those three films. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's a great point, man. Absolutely great point. I'm looking forward to recording the intros for them again uh, and release them out for people uh, as well um, uh, this week. for Because Ned Beatty was an incredible actor who could play status. You know, they talk about that with British actors all the time. They can play status, both uh, uh, dominant and submissive and everything in between. And Ned Beatty was able to play them all. He could be yeah. very chilling as a villain. He could be very goofy as uh, in, like in the Superman movie. So you got, you always, I love him in back to school as the Dean. He's hilarious. As oh the yeah. In, in back to school and, and so many other films that he's, uh, he's been uh, having, a, even in uh, shooter, the one with Mark Wahlberg that Antoine Fuqua directed. He is a dirty, dirty Senator. And when he's, evil it is just like damn man he always has that access and then you look at deliverance and he's getting like ripped by these guys in the woods so it's all this thing that he was willing to play as a as an actor he deserves so much respect and uh and uh all the plaudits so it's gonna be fun to record our stuff and i'm sure mikey will be down to record it at some point we'll drop it later on this week um all right so shall we jump into six otis bird anyway (laughs) your your number six was guardians of the galaxy 
Mm. My number six is Winter Soldier. Mm. Um, it was, this okay. is, now we're getting into where I was really having a tough time oh, yeah. how to rank these. I think Winter Soldier is such a good movie. And what's so great, and this will go into sort of my other, one of my my second category of Marvel films, mm-hmm. which is the uh, the sort of vision of a different style, like a different director. And this is the homage to 70s thrillers, to Three yeah. Days of the Condor, to those kinds of movies. And the fact that they get Robert Redford to be in it is just and they do it so well, and it is oh, yeah. such a good mystery and such a departure from what we've seen before. It's a fantastic movie. It's a great reveal, and the way they pace it out is uh, fantastic as well. So all my complaints about Captain America, it doesn't take away from all the positive things that I think Chris Evans does in that role and the way he brings Steve Rogers to life in a way for us to connect to and care about. The idea of the that whole dating subplot that's going on through the whole thing, where Scarlet, uh, where Black Widow rather, is giving him uh, crap about dating and wanting him to go and get out there and meet certain people and whatever. And of course, he's still dealing uh, with Peggy being around, but not being able to be with her. Right, this whole life that he's got constructed, and then you've got the idea of Shield being infiltrated by Hydra. And what that experience is like, just like America being infiltrated, you know, he's a guy who, and we're seeing that now. You couldn't, I mean, not to get too far off the Marvel train, but you see the idea of infiltration. People who seem to say with one side of their mouths that they're all about America, but the other side of their mouths are doing things to keep other Americans down or subjugate them or, or remove their, their voice from the, uh, from the firmament. And that is a problem you see. Uh, going on nowadays and so seeing it in winter soldier i think is is so uh incredible and you're right it's a political espionage thriller and uh, that's why i put it higher up on my list because it, it does it actually makes you understand that these marvel movies can be more than just Absolutely. superhero films and thank god for that yeah I think your point is really well taken, and I think that uh, about America and people mm-hmm. saying that they're patriotic and saying they're fighting for America and what exactly that means. And I think you know this is this is one of my objections on so many levels about so many things mm. is that people use terms but they don't define their terms. Right? Is that what exactly do you mean by America? And I think people don't even take a moment to consider that they don't have an opinion they're going america is this thing that in the way that i believe it like people that say uh that you know that midwestern states that's the real america that's real america right you know and it's like well what about the millions of people who live in cities aren't they real america right like one of the things to perceive about america is it's a lot of different things you know, yep. like for me, when I'm talking about America, I'm talking about what I consider to be American ideals. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking about. It is right. not it's not the beautiful landscape, although I think there's beautiful landscape. It's not, you know, big business. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. uh, patriotic symbols to me. It's not the right. flag. For me, it's the ideals. It's the. Yeah. The idea that of of liberty, the idea that people can take control of their own life, the idea of personal freedom, the you know those are the things: freedom of speech, tolerance, trying to do the right thing. Those ideals that we frequently don't live up to very often. That's what yeah. I think of. You know, yeah, we're supposed to be the city, uh, with the shining city on the shining hill. City on the hill, yeah. And we don't always uh, adhere to that, and it's uh, that's what I think the um, the film exposes very deftly. Right. Yeah. And then you and then you have the furthering of the fight between Bucky and 
uh, Captain America having Steve Rogers trying to shake Bucky out of what he was before. Uh, and of course, we get crossbones with Frank Grillo. Some great stuff there as well. So, um, and uh, and more of the questioning of Nick Fury and Steve Rogers, which carries over overall uh, throughout the MCU as well. Who's right, who's wrong, and how they approach things yep. in America for sure. All right, where are we off to next, my man? Um, well, let's see. Let us see what your number five is. Your number five was Infinity War. Okay. My number uh, five, and I think people will be really surprised by this, mm -hmm. but my number five is Endgame. Oh, wow. Five. Okay. Yeah. I, it's Go so fun. My feelings about Endgame, again, it's one of these movies that is having to do so much heavy lifting with mm -hmm. so many characters. And there are moments in Endgame, you know, whether it's Tony Stark's death or On Your Left or, yeah. you know, there's so, or her fat Thor, you know, <laughs> like there's so many moments that are memorable and all the stuff going on uh, with uh, Gamora and Nebula and all the, they're really good. I don't, for me, I don't think the plot and the time travel stuff and all that it gets a little confusing for me. It doesn't all hold together. It's like, it's like for me, the highs of Endgame are really, really high. But yeah. then there's a lot of stuff that's for me is really good. It's a really good movie. Yeah. I just don't think it's as great as uh, let's say Infinity War, you yeah. know. I, I hear you, and I totally respect your point of view. I mean, I don't 100% agree, obviously, because mine's a little bit higher on my list with Endgame. And I think it's because they have the guts to confront PTSD right off yeah. the bat. You know, I know That's they did the, that. Yeah. Go, sorry, I know they did that in Iron Man 3, but this is full-on PTSD. This is survivor's guilt. This is uh, the, co the complexity of all of that, you know, Black Widow carrying the weight of what happened. Steve Rogers running that, uh, that um, in essence kind of uh, uh, bringing uh, Sam Wilson's job back to life and in a way honoring his memory by starting his own group of people to talk about how they're moving on all of that. And then the, the inventiveness of the quantum realm and then the, the randomness of a rat running across a button. Cause, and I saw some people complain about life is fucking random. Okay. Sure. Life is so random. A rat coming across some buttons to unleash Ant-Man so that the whole thing can happen is absolutely believable. You know, it's kind of nuts how stuff can happen in the world. So it's not out of the room possible. And I like all that. I hear you on it, but for me, I just love the fact that they have this thing and they drag Tony back into it in essence because for once, Tony understands that this is the ultimate sacrifice. His duty here, what started in 2008, he had to pay a price for that. He had to pay a price for that. And this was the price he had to pay. Captain America had to give up the shield so he could have Peggy. Uh, 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 Robert Iron Man, Tony Stark had to give up his life so that everyone could survive because that's the payment for all the lives his weapons had taken or had taken over the years before he had his change of heart. So to me, it balanced the scales. And when you look at all that happens throughout the movie, yeah, I get it, the time travel stuff, but there's enough with Hulk and there's enough with all these things. And Nebula, who I think should have been nominated for Best Supporting Action for a performance, all of it. She's here, great. Right? And yeah. all of it here just just so comes to life in, in such an incredible way. And it's Josh Boland's best performance, Thanos. Just sitting there, you know, all your things just brought you back to me. It's so great. And the fight sequence, Avengers Assemble, the hammer, all of it oh, yeah. all blows my mind, man. 
all that stuff is great and and i want to highlight and now you're kind of making me think oh maybe i should have put this one. And it's, well, <laughs> welcome this is to the show so pal <laughs> well, well it's like what's so hard which i've you know you've been through a million times yeah. it's like well what am i saying what do i want to highlight right. what is important um i just want to point out because i think this is and this is kevin feige and this is just incredible structure is that the basic structure the 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 most important two people in the mcu i believe are iron man and captain america and what you see is that in the beginning is iron man is tony stark self-interested is he going to make the sacrifice and that's the conflict in the first avengers movie which culminates with him going up with the nuclear bomb and then as we go through these films the conflict between the two of them and their different approaches to things and captain america is always the guy i will always sacrifice i always sacrifice i can do this all day that is his whatever it takes i'm going to do it and by the time we get to endgame captain america is at the point of going maybe i'm not responsible maybe i can't take on the responsibility Mm -hmm. of all the universe on my shoulders Mm -hmm. and at that moment tony stark has has a family and actually has self-sacrificed yeah and what has to happen is that tony stark who has finally gotten to the place where he has become selfless has to give up the thing that he loves the most give up happiness by Mm -hmm. sacrificing his life at the end of the movie and captain america who for you know decades has done nothing but sacrifice his personal needs for the good of the world and the universe says you know what i'm done i'm gonna go take care of me now yeah, like that is to to be able to track those two characters on that journey and and deliver, yeah, actually deliver with Tony Stark's death and with Captain America's final choices at the end. Like that's amazing. That is so impressive to yeah. me. Agreed, agreed, my man. Um, let's uh, let's take a pause here and answer some of these streamlabs that have come through. Steve, do you want to read some of them? Or do you want me to read them? What, what's your feeling here? Uh, why don't you do it? Cause you'll get them faster and I'll stumble around. <laughs> okay. All right. Sounds good. Uh, let's see. Uh, we said David Duvall, right? So Parker Holler says, how do you guys feel about people still not giving respect and validation to the MCU? I won't name names Scorsese, but superheroes are no different than Hercules, Zeus, Robin Hood, fantastical mythical characters that inspire us and reflect real world problems. That's a great point. Parker, in my opinion, any Lord of the Rings movie or any Lord of the Rings novel is comparable to the MCU. I don't care what anybody says. Fantastical characters that show you life lessons work throughout history, from cave paintings to now. Uh, Steve, what do you think? I am so, and I think we've shown it over and over again on the Cinephiles, I am so against people judging one genre as superior to mm. another genre, is that some of the greatest experiences of my life has been with adventure stories, Mm -hmm. you know, and the fact that a person puts on a silly skin tight costume and has lots of muscles and fights crime is that create opportunities for absolutely terrible stories. Sure. And there have been, I mean, if I pulled out some of those boxes back there, there (laughs) are, you know, and you look at like Superman comics from the fifties and sixties, they're terrible the vast majority of them are terrible does that mean it's not possible to to tell profound stories about people who dress up in silly costumes and fight crime absolutely not you can Mm -hmm. and that so anyone who's who what what you should do is go i don't think that was a good movie that's totally fine right but to say that i don't think superhero movies can be good movies that's fucking stupid yeah like i will show you a good movie that's a suit and you know we talked about spider-verse i put spider-verse up against any film any animated film you can name it is 
beautifully designed. The characters are great. The music is fantastic. It has truly emotional moments. It's thrilling. And we could look through these movie moments in the MCU. Have have you cried watching an MCU movie? Yeah, of course. Me too. Several times. Have you yeah. laughed your ass off watching MCU movies? Absolutely. Have you had great thrills? Mm-hmm. Have you had certain ideas even challenged of yours? Yeah, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, it, it, it's just, the, the, I, I don't like people that are condescending about, you know, we talked about this for years. It's like, how's your view from the cheap seats? Right. I mean, Martin Scorsese says he's not in the cheap seats. He's one of the great filmmakers of all time. He's entitled to his position his opinion but most of these people lobbying these grenades are people that never made a fucking movie yeah you know and so like successful with their movies yeah 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 all right so this is from sean brennan's hasty before you get too far into your list too late sean uh, would there be any non-mcu marvel movies that would make your list if they were included for example logan or sam raimi spider-man movies etc thanks for all the great content you guys keep it up Logan and Spider Verse, one hundred percent. They sure. would, they would absolutely be on the list. No question about it. No. Spider Verse would probably be the top of my list. Um, I haven't watched X Men two thousand or X Men two mm. in a long time. I thought the moment I remember sitting in the theater for X Men two thousand. I don't think it would go on the list because I think we kind of moved past it. But yeah. I do have to say, I'm sitting in the theater uh, with Karen. Uh, who had, was my new wife at that point. And the fact that we started in the Holocaust, I turned to Karen and was like, they got it. They got, they get it. They understand. Because that moment says so much about what the themes of the X-Men are. Yeah. That was really, really impressive. Does the movie hold up as well today? Maybe not quite so much, but that's really cool. I, the first two Sam Raimi Spider-Man, Spider-Man movies are really good. I sure. think I like them less than some other people do. Um, I like to, I like the Tom Holland uh, Homecoming more. Yeah, uh, but they might be. What about for you? Which ones would you uh, include? Yeah, I, know I mean, you obviously, Logan. Yeah, Logan's number one. Always will be number one. Can't be beat from, in my opinion, at this point. Can't be beat overall. But Spider Verse is a close second. That's no lie, or close third, depending on what my mood is that day, for sure. And I love those movies outside i would even i might even argue for blade the first blade movie which still holds up still good blade 2 has its issues as some of guillermo del toro's movies do have yeah they're the same issues that keep popping up over and over again but that first blade movie is stellar i mean you could even argue the crow in my top 15 possibly because i think that movie still mm. works and still holds up that's another movie i haven't mentioned that is a comic book movie that kind of was able to do its thing for sure i could even argue the director's cut of Watchmen, possibly from Zack snyder there or even their well i guess that's Mar- non-marvel sorry but that's not that's dc never mind but i i think those were the ones that what i would absolutely jump on board with for sure that are not in the mcu officially but definitely though as far as x-men yeah i agree with you i didn't i i'll be honest with you i always had a weird thing about that movie because i liked that movie but i didn't like toad and i didn't like uh yeah. and i thought tyler main was not the best saber tooth but i thought the second film really kind of corrected that it was even better i think that second film probably holds up better than the first the x-men first movie yeah. so if we were ever to revisit either of those two my vote would be x2 for the cinephiles for sure uh which could be a lot of fun um sure. all right doug developer says as a devout buddhist i'd like to give a shout out to dr strange the film respected the religion and philosophies while making it cool it means more to me that cumberbatch is a practicing buddhist yeah man i, I mm. agree with that a thousand percent That's um, a great point 
We just saw Doctor Strange a couple of weeks ago. I saw it, uh, saw it again. She saw it for the first time. I loved it. I, I still love it. Still defend it. Love what he does with Rachel McAdams. Love the what he does with Doctor Strange. Is the accent a little tough in the movie? Yes, he gets better as the MCU goes along. But overall, I still think the way they handled the very weighty topics of Buddhism and that religion and Eastern religion and philosophy, I thought was way better than people who are clamoring to tell me how much they love Temple of Doom. So, all right. the, 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 well, I'm not going to get into Temple of Doom with you. That's okay. an entirely other conversation. We, we do a cinephile short on it. Maybe that would be fun. All right. Um, the uh, uh, one of the things I think is so important that, and I think Doctor Strange is a perfect example that Marvel understood that most people making superhero movies didn't was yeah. that we can be totally drawn to characters that are not actually the nicest people. Yes, you know. Doctor Strange, Tony Stark, like there are a lot of problematic people that are heroes mm -hmm. in the Marvel Universe that are, you know, selfish, self-righteous, that are sarcastic, that are, yeah. you know, cold, that are unfeeling, that are, they're all these things and we can really like them. And that's something we've known from reading comic books forever. And it's yeah. the conflict between all these people that makes it so much fun. It's not yeah. that they're perfect. I think there was some image post maybe 78 superman of like oh superheroes are these perfect things and it's yeah. like no that's not actually what makes them interesting to watch yeah yeah and i will be uh picking my buddhist practice back up again now that i've kind of set up my office in a different way got new furniture i'll be able to bring out uh, my scroll and start meditating myself because lord knows i need it it's been a bit um two super chats here from paul uh because i respect cumberbatch being a practicing buddhist my all-time favorite of the mcu movie is winter soldiers uh, winter soldier top-notch action and the cgi isn't quote as in your face in that one and uh, winter soldier is the most adult of all the MCU movies. Yeah. Paul, I agree with you. I'm sure Steve agrees with you. But the Lady Outlaw hates Winter Soldier. She puts Winter oh. Soldier at the bottom of her list because it's too much boring action for her. She is not an action person. She likes superhero movies that have more talking than action, more conversation about philosophy than that film does. So very interesting the perception uh, people have about that movie one way or another. So just throwing it out there, Steve, do you agree? Most adult of the MCU movies? hundred percent. I don't, I don't even think there's a comparison. Um, okay. I, I think in terms of just its level of seriousness throughout, it's a fairly mm -hmm. serious movie, you know, Steve is a very fairly serious man, so he knows what he's talking about. Uh, <laughs> Justin Toner says, Hi, John and Steve. My top 10, The Avengers, Endgame, Infinity War, Iron Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man, Ragnarok, Homecoming, The Winter Soldier, and Civil War. Uh, I'm still working on listening to some of your older shows to catch up. Love the show and love you both. Thank you, Justin. Very kind. Thank you. you so much. That's awesome. Yeah, and thanks for your list, and I love you right back, brother. You know that. Uh, King underscore Kanger says, totally disagree with being Team Iron Man in the CW. Uh, in C and, Oh, in uh, I don't know what that means. All right, Cap just – oh, in Civil War. Sorry about that. Sorry, King. In Civil War, Cap just experienced being betrayed by the S.H.I.E.L.D. By S.H.I.E.L.D. So Cap just experienced being betrayed by S.H.I.E.L.D. Any control being given by the government over the Avengers – really hampers the Avengers' ability to respond to the most dire of situations when they are elsewhere. Yeah, okay. oh, Steve, why don't you take this one and see what you... I've got some thoughts on this, but please respond first on this one. So he, I think that dramatically, and in the Marvel Universe, 
And in stories in general, frequently governments cannot be trusted. Mm. Like that's how there, there are a lot of there, there aren't there are far more stories in which the government can't be trusted than the government can be trusted. Right. However, for me, I actually do believe in a society based on laws, not men. Mm-hmm. I think humans are really flawed. And I actually think the Marvel Universe shows that over and over again. I mean, Tony Stark and Ultron show why there are problems with having people just decide to do what they think is right. And Captain America and the way he protects Bucky and his choices there are not the best choices. And the Hulk is not actually a safe person. And what happens in Segovia actually isn't that cool. And so, and in general, we say we don't want the police department to go off their own and decide at a moment's notice who is right and who is wrong and what to do. We want a police department that follows rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. So Like, I actually think now we do establish that apparently the U.S. government was not just had a little bit of Hydra going on, but it was like all Hydra. Yeah. (laughs) Given given that circumstance, no, I wouldn't trust the government either. But I do think at some point, you know, like what, like I remember, so I don't mean to make this political at all, and I hopefully Mm. this won't, but I remember Jimmy Carter uh, when he was elected, this is a, a Baptist. This is a guy who taught Sunday school. This is a guy who was very much against abortion. Mm-hmm. And he was elected four years after Roe v. Wade and was asked, well, what are you going to do as a person who's against abortion? But the Supreme Court has now said that this has to be legal. He said, I swore an oath to the Constitution to defend the Constitution and to I am the president who has to administer the Constitution. And therefore, I will do everything in my power to keep abortion legal because that is a law of the land. But I will also do everything in my power to find ways to reduce the numbers of abortions. Is that to find ways for give money to adoption, give money to child care, give money to sex education, give money to to birth control, things that will reduce the frequency of this. But I will still follow the law because my job is to follow the law, even though I don't agree with that law. And that to me is like, that's what being an honorable person is. Yeah, I agree, with you. I agree with him completely. Um, let's see here. We've got one. Is that the last one? Oh, yeah. So my thoughts on this uh, real quick. Any control being governed by the Avengers? Blah, blah, blah. Well, government is run by human beings, so it's naturally going to be flawed. And guess what? Human beings are flawed. You who criticize the government are super flawed yourself. So what right do you have to criticize the government if you yourself are flawed? So this idea of wanting to destroy government, that's my problem, I guess. You can have issues with the government, certainly redress, uh, bringing redresses to the government, you have freedom of speech to do so, protest, what have you. But trying to destroy the government, what, what we see happening now, which is really unsettling, it's a diet, this desire to create anarchy is scary and dangerous. And Steve makes an excellent point. Cops, just like superheroes, have that extra bit of power in society because they carry a badge that automatically requires your respect. They carry a billy club. They carry uh, a, a gun. They carry uh, tasers. They carry mace. They carry all kinds of things, handcuffs, that put you in a position as a regular citizen, that put you in a submissive position or a lower position, possibly. And our, if we turn superheroes into, in essence, mini tyrants, that's what you're saying is okay for police to be mini tyrants to use their power as they see fit. I'm not one to agree with Thunderbolt Ross, but his examples that he lays out when he's talking about the Sokovia Accords, I agree with him. And and the story is there to support Thunderbolt Ross's point of view 
and Iron Man's point of view of wanting to kind of keep everything controlled in house, check in with the Now, does that 100% work? No, but neither does the other way. So I think you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And that's the horrible truth about humanity. We're always stuck in the middle wanting to do the right thing, but either way we go is fraught with consequences. Can, can I say one more thing on this? Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, it's something we've actually been thinking about quite a bit lately in terms of the cinephiles, in terms of film, is mm. that if you look at cop stories and there is the choice of the cop going outside the law a little bit to get yeah. the bad guy, in almost every one of those stories, everyone that I can think of, mm-hmm. they were right. Yeah. They did it and that was the only way to get the bad guy and that was the bad guy. There are tons and tons of examples. You look at the Innocence Project. You look at there's right. so many situations where people were where cops were absolutely certain that this was the bad guy. And so, yeah, they beat somebody up or they, you know, they violated someone's rights to bring that yeah. person in. And there are very few stories yeah. where the cop makes that choice and they were wrong. Right. And the one I can think of where, by the way, I don't think actually think he was wrong, but is Touch of Evil. Touch of Evil explores this idea. Oh, yeah, that's right. Of the cop being absolutely certain he's framing, but he is framing people. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, I actually am far less sanguine about people's certainty, you know, about them being right and therefore being able to go outside. The rules exist for a reason. Yeah. Because actually we're not that good. We we often think we're 100% right based on very little information. Yeah. And that's dangerous. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. All right. That's all the Streamlabs Super Chats for right now. If you want to keep sending them in, I think we've got a few more minutes left in the show. We're going to power through the next few uh, selections here because uh, I got to get some dinner, ladies and gentlemen, and we've got some announcements to get to. So, uh, Steve, where would you want to go next? Well, uh, our uh, number four, and guess yep. what, John? You and I have the same number four, Ooh. and it is the Marvel movie you and I have talked about more than any other, and that is, of course, Black Panther. Yeah, Black Panther. Yeah, um, stuff. I, I I liked it a lot w- when I saw it, mm-hmm. and it was really studying it for the cinephiles and our show with Jane Winston that just really. It's the only Marvel movie that I would say is important. Mm. That is an important film. That is yeah. a film that for a huge part of society, both white and black and Latino and a lot, it, it brought to light ideas that really weren't being discussed and discussed them in a mainstream way. And this is this other category of films where it's like, I think there's a couple of visionary directors that Marvel gave some r- room to really explore some interesting things. And Ryan Coogler is certainly one of them. It's yeah. great. It's a great film. Yeah, I echo your sentiments completely. It was great to rediscover the film again through Jay Washington and Wednesday Marshall's eyes with our uh, episodes on the cinephiles of this movie. It was great to see how they saw it as black men in our society. And so I guess now as we're thinking about it, someone said earlier that it's the most adult film is uh, Winter Soldier. Well, I guess I was wrong because I, I'll change my mind and say there is a competition for that. Black Panther. I think Black Panther is a very adult and serious film about this idea of representation, this idea of excluding uh, the others because you don't want to step out of your shell and take the consequences of helping others. You want to hoard what you have because you can keep your society safe in that way. So there is pride in that, but there's also a bit of exclusivity in that. And I think that's what gets exposed here in Black Panther. And certainly Killmonger coming in as a villain, kind of really putting the nail on the head in an in a incorrect way. Uh, uh, overall, he's 
He's not wrong with what he's saying. He's wrong with how he's going about displaying these things. And I think that makes the film a little more bigger than just being a part of the MCU and carry more weight and resonance. And it was, I think it's still the only MCU that's been nominated for best picture. And there's a reason for that. You know, I, I think that it's uh, Stanley did some things that were very smart. And, and one of the smartest, mm-hmm. one of his smartest areas was structural. Yeah. Is that if you look at the hero villain relationships in the Marvel universe, one of the things that he does is pairs a villain with a hero where that where there, there is a, a interaction that's fascinating and there is something sympathetic mm-hmm. and connected about the villain yep. uh, professor x and magneto like that yep. is a pairing where you listen to magneto and you go man he's a bad guy but that guy's got a point mm-hmm. you know and black panther and killmonger is the same thing like mm-hmm. that is a pairing where these are parallel characters killmonger in a different world could easily be the king. He could easily mm-hmm. be Black Panther. If he hadn't been separated the way that he was and grown up the way he was, he has every single heroic quality. He's brilliant. He's talented. He's charismatic. Like, And there are things that he says, even though many of the things he's doing are villainous, where you go, yeah. fuck, man, Killmonger's got a point. You know? Yeah, yeah. And there's a power in Killmonger dying on his own terms and then referencing slavery because that's his experience as a Black man not in Wakanda. That's he's an American black man. That's his experience. That's what he knows to be the black experience. Whereas Wakanda knows the black experience to be completely different in their, in essence, sheltered nation. And so that's that's powerful uh, and carries weight as well. So there's that movie is just so so good in that. All right, let's move on to number three, my man. Once again, you and I have the same number three, <laughs> and, th- and that is Thor Ragnarok. Oh yeah, great stuff, Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> I think so. You know, and again, this is this is a director with a vision. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a director's film who looked at this guy who was really funny and wasn't getting the chance. To, I mean, he was good as the arrogant Thor, sure. but there was this other little side of him that that I think Taika Waititi could see, and they went, "I'm going to take this movie in this direction," mm-hmm. and it is so fun and so joyful and so its tone is so different and it so works. Right. And it's just, and it's, you know, and it's one of those films where when, when, when I saw the first tra- trailer and Thor goes, I know him, we work together. I like, I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to see this movie. <laughs> it's great. It's almost, yeah. And I, I think Taika Waititi unlocked the joy of Thor. He unlocked why Thor resonates with people still nowadays uh, and gave him a little more life, gave him the humor, which it was there in the first two movies. Every MCU movie has their moments of humor for all their characters, the way they balance things. But certainly Ragnarok dials into the humor. But amidst all the multicolor and all this kind of stuff, there's some real serious things going on as well. And that is this idea of family between Loki and Thor. You know, remember mm-hmm. the tri- the and then Hela coming in, really exposing the real truths, kind of like we got with Black right. Panther. And this is just so interesting. I'm discovering as we go into the season, uh, sorry, phase three of the MCU, like the first two phases are all about dad and dad issues and figuring dad out. Phase three is essentially exposing the truths that your dad wasn't the hero that he thought he was, that you thought he yeah. was. And how do you navigate that, right? Both Black Panther and Thor back to back in terms of uh, the uh, chronology of these movies 
expose the truths or show the truths about their fathers, the unsavory truths about their fathers. And the sons have to carry the weight of those sins and negotiate their feelings about their father. And that comes up very powerfully in Ragnarok. But it still doesn't take away from the emotional moment of his death, Odin's death in front of both Loki and Thor, which is devastatingly powerful. Um, And then what we see in the battle with Hela and what that exposes, the idea of Asgard, what Asgard means, uh, you know, all of that. And then also Valkyrie, Valkyrie having suffered the loss of all her fellow Valkyrie running away or escaping uh, to this place, uh, to that planet Sakaar and essentially reinventing herself and then allowing Thor to let her reconnect back to Asgard and then reconnect back overall into who, what she can be and what she can represent. Uh, and that, of course, pays dividends in Endgame as we go along throughout this whole thing. So just great stuff going on. Amidst all the humor and fun approach right. and Korg and all of that, there's some real stuff going on here between these characters uh, that resonates with anyone who's got a very uh, you know, unusual family is what I'll say. So, well, I, I think the point you bring up about phase three is so important. And again, I, I, I credit a lot of this just to Stanley setting these things up. Well, mm. you know, 50 years ago is yeah. you always lean into conflict. Yeah. So if dad has no secrets, then we don't add any conflict. Right. Right. If dad has secrets and dad isn't who you thought he was, which is definitely true in black Panther. It's definitely true in uh Thor, it's definitely true in Guardians of the Galaxy. It's definitely like there's a it's definitely true with Tony Stark. It's true in a lot of places. Yeah. And that creates more conflict. And one of the things that you can't is that movies tend to, one way or another, by the end of the film, resolve their conflicts. Yeah. Comic books want to keep the conflict going. They don't want that Batman never deals with his shit. Yeah. If he dealt with his shit, then Batman is over. He's always angry. He's always struggling with these things. And that's what makes him a character that we come back to and come back to and come back yeah. to. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. And that's the stage in life for and that's the stages of life for most men, I think. You know, in your teens, you rebel in your 20s, you call out all your dad's bullshit. And in your 30s, you know, you start to understand and make your own mistakes. And in your 40s and 50s, you start to have a completely different perspective about the stuff your father did because you did some stuff too in life. And that gives you a whole nother point of view. And then you repeat the chain if you have kids over and over again. So, you know, just like it says in Hamlet, it is it is the circle there always. Um, all right. Let's say uh, where are we at? Uh, your number two. What's your number two uh, number overall? Number two. Your your number two to remind everyone who who doesn't watch listen to the top ten and why are you guys not listening to the top ten show? But your number two was Winter Soldier, which we already discussed. Yes, we did. And my number two is Guardians of the Galaxy. Ah, yeah, nice choice. Wait, Guardians of the Galaxy? Where's my number? Where's Guardians of the Galaxy for me? It's it's on the list, isn't it? It is. It's your number six. Six. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I just love it. I love yep. it. I love those characters so much. I I so uh I didn't see it opening night and Steve Jones who's obviously been on the show mm-hmm. called me up and said you I'm taking you to see Guardians of the Galaxy. So we met in Burbank and I went to see it and I went in th- expecting a B or a B plus. Right. And I went out with the biggest smile on my face and I remember <laughs> I got I bought the Blu-ray and and Karen went out. She was going out with friends or something one night. And I watched the Blu-ray by myself. And the next day, I said, 
Karen, you have to watch this movie. And so I watched it two days in a row, which is something I haven't done in a long time with a film. Karen absolutely loved it. We played the soundtrack like everyone did over and over and over again. And yeah. I, and again, this goes into, this is a, vi this is a person who has a certain vision. Nobody else could have made that movie. You take a bunch of characters that are nobody's favorite Marvel characters. The yeah. guardians of the galaxy weren't those people. Mostly the, the, the this guy just figures, they just figure out we're going to do this thing. I remember the trailer and, and watching, I was like, Oh, this is a completely different tone. And it mm -hmm. so works. And it's moving. It gets to me, even yeah. though it's being silly. Like I really love those characters. I think, I think Guardians of the Galaxy Two has good things in it. I think there's, I think the the main plot is actually pretty weak. Um, but I think that the characters I still adore. But yeah, yeah. Guardians I just love. Yeah, I, I, you know, again, basing it on the rewatch, it was great to rediscover the film again. Been a bit since I'd seen it. And just, you know, enjoying the characters, relishing their relationships as they come together. The visuals, you know, we just did Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 yesterday. The visuals in both 1 and 2 that James Gunn brings to the screen with his cinematographer is just stellar. It is jaw-dropping, some of those visuals that we see in the movies, in both those. And I can't help but think that they, it influenced the Russo brothers a little bit as they go oh, yeah. into Infinity War and Endgame as well, when they go more into space and thor you know going to see the, the peter dinklage character and creating that new hammer a stormbreaker all of that there there feels very similar to guardians of the galaxy so uh to me the look of it all is really one of the undervalued things about that movie the humor is great the characters are really well realized the acting is fantastic batista what an announcement people forget that's the film that really launched dave batista overall as He's a great Right as a force, and they just released a screen test of Batista with Chris Pratt hmm. from the like the audition screen test, and Batista has the character down cold already, and Pratt is still kind of figuring out what he wants to do with Star Lord. So Batista was already dialed in to what he needed to do for this movie. So speaks volumes to an actor uh, who was a pro wrestler, successfully a pro wrestler, who who now to me I only see mostly as an actor. And occasionally right. think about him as a pro wrestler and all of that. And of course, it's always Eldana. All of that is great. Karen Gillan, great introduction. The only negative a little bit is, of course, Lee Pace. Ron is not that great of a villain or that interesting Agreed. of a villain. And that kind of dings it a little bit. Uh, all right. So where are we off to next? Our number ones? Number one. Yep. Uh, your number one was Winter Soldier. Um, and my number one is Infinity War. Yeah. I. It, I think Infinity War is so well made. And I think the what the I, I totally agree with what you just said is I think the Russo brothers looked at Guardians of the Galaxy and went, Oh, I can use this mm -hmm. sense of humor. They looked at Ragnarok and said, Oh, I can, oh, I know how to use this and use this sense of humor and some of the, these things that were introduced. They look at Black Panther and go, Oh, I know how to use the world of Wakanda yeah. and figure out how to incorporate all that. And just the amount of beats that they hit, whether it's the death of Gamora. The, you know, moments, the, the just so many good moments with these mm -hmm. characters when they show up, that final battle and just the crushingness, yeah. the crushingness of the snap and the end. Yeah. And, you know, it was obviously Spider-Man and these other characters. Ugh. And it's just, I, I think that movie so delivers uh, what it is trying to do. And it is really difficult what it's trying to do. It is. It is. And you're right. The devastating impact of losing all those 
heroes. I, li- at the I, end. I lied, by the way. Winter, Sol- sorry, Winter Soldier is your number two. Endgame was your number one. Right, Endgame is my number one. Yeah. Sorry about that. No worries, no worries. Yeah, Endgame is my number one, no doubt. Uh, but uh, yeah, Infinity War, there's so much. I remember, as I've said this a couple times, I'll say it again. I still remember being in the screening for that movie at the Kodak Theater when everybody died at the end. The silence from the critics. You could have heard a pin drop at the shock of the ending of that movie. Uh, and of course, they had brought Robert. De- oh, they brought the whole cast out, which was an incredible experience. Wow. To be sitting in the theater as the, the whole cast was brought out before the movie started uh, and talked about and then to experience it. I mean, I saw Frankie Valley there. There were so many people there. It was weird to see so many celebrities. So in essence, a pseudo premiere uh, and being able to watch it in that theater was just mind blowing and the experience of it all and the pacing of it. So I'm looking forward to it because I haven't seen it since and I'm not going to watch it until we get to it uh, for a rewatch. I'm looking forward to experiencing it all over again. And if it and it might adjust where I put it on the list uh, if I was to do one of these top tens uh, again, for sure. So, yeah. Great choice, Steve. Uh, there, there's the um, the expression "give the audience what they want," and frequently mm. our job is not to give the audience what what they want. Like right. the end of Romeo and Juliet is not what anybody wants, <laughs> but sometimes that's what you have to do. But right. giving satisfying moments, and there's so many between Infinity War and Endgame, of like you mentioned the hammer with Captain mm. America. Uh, we have you know the the on your left all the women coming together in endgame we have there's just so many moments where you go yes yeah that is give that that is the thing i didn't know that was the thing i was waiting for but you delivered on the thing that i was waiting for it's just they're great yeah and tom holland's death broke me like a little boy man broke me. oh yeah 100 i mean just incredible what what he, he just and tony starts guilt right and then having yeah. uh you know dr strange hold up that one finger so much about the film uh carries such powerful emotional resonance for you when you watch it because you've been through all these movies you've connected yeah. to these characters so much so to see them randomly getting destroyed is just uh or dusted is just uh just devastating um all right well anything more we want to jump into here steve as we head into wrapping up the show i know we've got some announcements to hit as well but uh, we uh, i had thrown out the idea that we might talk about our favorite MCU dads or the best MCU dad. Hmm. Uh, any thoughts on who you would say on its father's day is the best or your favorite MCU dad? Oh man. Cause as you say, there's a lot of flaws like Tony. <laughs> I can't really get that behind Tony Stark's dad. No, no. You know, the guy's an arms dealer who, who you know, like that's, probably not the greatest thing uh odin doesn't end up to be the best guy at all right um t'chaka T'Chaka is pretty problematic i mean you know kills his own brother and covers it up um and 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 even worse leaves his nephew just leaves him to fend for himself yeah Yeah. that's pretty messed up what what are our other dads well um I was going to default, you know, we've got Kurt Russell as Ego the Living Planet. Uh, <laughs> you could argue Yondu. Yondu, in essence, a stepfather of uh, of uh, of um, Star-Lord. Uh, yeah, a murdering criminal who is who I really <laughs> like. Who's a, He's a lovable murdering criminal. He really is. <laughs> um, uh, Thanos. But Thanos, right? Which I, w- <laughs> I was having this debate with someone. Uh, on the stereo app when we were doing it yesterday that thanos is actually a better dad than ego the living planet because at least thanos has some emotion he actually does care about gamora 
when he's sacrificing her, because they say you have to sacrifice what you love, and he does love her, which is why he, he sacrificed her. So whereas Ego just wants Star-Lord so he can put it, you know, change the world or change the galaxy, the universe, uh, to do what he wants it to do on all those planets. But someone uh, kind of set me straight, and I think it's still the number one answer in my mind, is Hawkeye. Hawkeye is the best dad in the That's, MCU. Hawkeye is a great dad. Wouldn't yes. you say? That's a good answer, yeah. By the way, I think Nebula would disagree with you about Thanos's parenting style. <laughs> That's like, true. repeatedly torturing and disassembling your child child and having your two kids fight against each other it's a little it's not it's not what i do as a dad that's fair Uh, it's tough love for sure it's tough love for sure but but, you know it's true it's there's resonance there someone says scott lang maybe scott but i mean he's a criminal right he went to jail he does care about cassie but it took him a while to find the right path so i i think scott lang Moving forward, post mm-hmm. Ant Man one is a great dad. That's I, I, I. I think Scott Lang made some very stupid, immature choices that were not so good. Um, yeah, I, I, I think Hawkeye's a good. I'm trying to think of what other dads do we really know. Um, uh, there's some okay. father figurey type people. Yeah, we never um, know Captain. We never know Captain Marvel's dad. I don't think we don't know uh, Captain America's dad. No. Um, I mean, Nick Fury is kind of like the dad of all of them, but he's a manipulative yeah. guy throwing those uh, throwing well, those cards it, on the table. Yeah. It, to be real clear, <laughs> heroes tend to have a lot of family issues. Yeah, true. Dad Whether, issues, it, definitely. Yeah, dead parents. Uh, you know, yeah. there's all sorts of messed up family issues with all of these characters. Well, oh, Tony Stark, <laughs> you might argue, is a good dad at the end there for his child, right? Couldn't you argue yep. that? Yeah. Well, and and a good father figure for Spider Man. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Hold, yeah. Uh, um, I love you 3000. Janine says, uh, what did Janine say? She had a comment here. I was trying to find it real quick. She says, no, Hawkeye becomes a vigilante. Well, he becomes a vigilante after he loses right. his family. That's a different situation. He's not a vigilante while his family is still alive. It's after he, he loses his family. He is so. no longer a dad at that point. Right. He is right. post-dad. That's right. Uh, okay, well, let's get into some of these. Thank you all so much for watching. We're going to get into some announcements here as we wrap up the show. Steve, which one would you like to go to first? Well, why don't we reveal what, in fact, is the most requested movie for us to redo okay. from the early days of the cinephiles? It was it a very, very close race, neck yes. and neck, between a little film called Reservoir Dogs Ooh. and the movie that just beat it out, the archetypal action film and that is die hard so we will be revisiting die hard coming up uh not this week but the following week my assumption is going to be a two-parter i am not only am i super excited i am in the middle of reading actually reading the book that die hard was based on yeah and it is fascinating (laughs) (laughs) that's great that's great so yeah it's gonna be fun to get back into die hard it's been yes i i remember listening to our episode as i drove through hollywood uh, years uh, years ago when we dropped that episode uh and remembering like oh this is we're getting there we're getting there it's one of those yeah. episodes where i sensed that we were getting to where we needed to get to so uh it'll be nice to revisit it and take it scene by scene step by step and of course yeah. you can never watch die hard or talk about die hard too much that's for sure um all right so look for that coming soon where are we off to next what's our next announcement our next announcement is people have been that part of why we're doing the MCU mm-hmm. and part of why we're doing the top 10 is people for years have been asking, what are you guys going to tackle the Marvel universe? When is it going to happen? How are you going to do it? 
and the only one we ever did was Iron Man, which was the first movie we did where we broke our 10 year rule. We did it yeah. back in 2008, I think. I mean, 2018, I think. Yeah. And uh, here's the plan. And we're going to give we're going to take a little bit of a break because the outlaws in the midst of rewatching the entire Marvel Universe with the Lady Outlaw. So we're yes. not doing this right away. Here is the plan going forward. We are going to discuss every single MCU movie on its 10th anniversary. Yep. So that means that we have a few to catch up on. Hulk, Captain America, First Avenger, the original Avengers. We'll probably do those near the end of this year, the beginning of next year. Mm -hmm. And then from that point forward, if a Marvel movie came out on April 2nd, 2012, we're going to be doing that on the, the week of April 2nd, 2022, which means that in 2029, John, assuming <laughs> you and I are both alive and still doing this show, we're going to talk about Endgame. Boom! I like it. I like it. And now, are we going... Even for the lesser films, are we still going to give it the cinephiles treatment? Uh, no, I, I, I think I think the uh, those will be cinephiles lives, or we might combine a couple. So yeah. no, I don't think we'll do the full cinephiles treatment on yeah, Iron I Man agree. two, but uh, but definitely the full cinephiles treatment on everyone we talked about in this top ten list. Oh, absolutely, 100%. and, and yeah. then some, I'm sure, absolutely. So yeah, so get ready for that, ladies and gentlemen. We're giving the cinephiles treatment to the films from the MCU that we consider to be some of the best and on their 10th anniversary. And as Steve said, we will catch up uh, and then eventually be back on course for it. Uh, so, uh, cause I'm, I'm just, I couldn't possibly talk about right. Marvel. Like it just would wear me out at some point. So you gotta be, yeah. and I appreciate Steve creating space for me to finish this thing so that I could be ready to do our thing uh, down the road this year. Uh, all right. And we have uh, Iron Man three has to get the full. We'll see Adam. We'll see. There's a lot of complaints about that one. All right, so let's uh, let's do our next announcement here, Steve. What do we got? Well, the next announcement, and I got to say, this is a weird one. It's particularly a weird one for me, mm. which is that uh, the next movie, we are going to announce the next movie we are doing on Cinephiles Live, and we are breaking one of our most important rules to do it, and we're doing it entirely for me, which is <laughs> it's been very hard to get my film, The Assistance, out. Mm -hmm. And I, it was on iTunes. It had no marketing. I finally got back all the rights to the film. I now actually own the assistance myself. I have the distribution rights. And as of this moment, the assistance, my film from 2010 is now on our YouTube channel. I literally just made it public this second. Mm -hmm. And in, and so you can all watch it. It's free. And in one month's time, we are going to discuss my film on The Cinephiles Live. And if people want to watch uh, my shark show, which is uh, Great White Shark Beyond the Cage of Fear, which is free on Amazon Prime, we could talk about that as well. Um, but, yep, we're going to talk about my film, The Assistance, in one month's time on Cinephiles Live. Ooh. It could go a number of directions, ladies and gentlemen. So you don't want to miss that episode for sure. It's going to be a fun discussion looking at the assistance and talking about the whole experience and breaking the film down and having a fun discussion about it. So join. So you got homework to do over this next four weeks. You got homework to do. Watch that. Watch the assistance movie. As Steve said, it is free on the Cinephiles YouTube channel for you to watch and the shark shows well on Amazon Prime. And then Come back ready to send in your super chats or Streamlabs uh, as we go along through our discussion. So very, very interesting. I've, it's been a long, long time since I've seen that movie. So uh, yeah. it'll be fun to watch it again and then have my own notes, have my own thoughts about I it. And know you, talk I to know you'll have it. thoughts. 
And just, you know, in no way am I saying that this that the assistance is worthy of as a cinephile's oh, film. No, no, no. I'm not trying to make that statement. I'm really proud of the film. I work really hard on the film. I think it's a good film. And we and the part of the reason for this is over the years we've gotten many, many questions of people asking about the process of making the film, asking questions about the film. And Definitely. so this is the chance where I can answer them. And 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 frankly, I could tell you a lot of the mistakes that I made, the lessons that I learned, the disappointments that happened, and some of the great things that happened in the process of making that film, which was pretty pretty darn important for me. Okay, there we go. And maybe if I could suggest something, maybe um, maybe you could reach out to some of these actors who were in the film. Maybe they can record a minute or two about their experience, and we'll play it on the show for sure. That could uh, be a lot of fun if that's possible. I was going to ask that. I they I could even they might even pop on to the live stream if you why be not? Interested. Yeah. Why not? And uh, before we wrap up this section of the announcements, why don't we play the trailer real quick, uh, if you're good with that, Steve? Let's do it. All right, here's the trailer for The Assistants. They are the eyes and ears of Hollywood. Cash Levine's office. They know every actor's price and every agent's weak spot. This is Sarah. If they ever pooled their resources, there's nothing they couldn't do. Look, everything these guys do, every message they leave, every contract they sign, they all go through us. They don't run us. We run them. Son of a bitch. Is that it? And just like that, it was over. Baby, we can't stay in LA forever. You think you're real special, don't you? Well, tomorrow there's going to be a line of guys out there who would sell their soul for a chance at what you're five seconds away from blowing. You're only saying that because you don't have any vision. There are two kinds of filmmakers in the world. Either you bust your ass trying to make good movies or you bust your ass trying to sell bad ones. Which kind are you? The thing you have to remember is it's your life. You're the one in charge. Well, there it is. What's happening? <laughs> I can't hear you. Nope. I don't know if other people can hear you. Yeah, no, I can't hear you. Can people hear me? Well, uh, I guess we lost John. There's no outlaw anymore. I don't know if you guys can hear me, but that is, and says that I'm muted too. That's interesting. So we're both muted. There we go. Now we're good to go. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Really weird. So yeah, that was the trailer there for the assistance. And uh, we'll be taking We'll be taking a look at that in a month and talking about it on a cinephiles live. So come back uh, in a month and ready to talk about that for sure. Um, anything else to touch on, on that section of the announcement, Steve? No, I think that is all of our announcements. There was a, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on with the cinephiles. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think we'll be recording some shorts coming up this week as well. So look out for those for all our patrons. Uh, and perhaps, I don't know, if we're, are we going to make those available for everybody as our new episode on Friday? Or are we just going to do the intros for those Ned Beatty films as, in essence, our contribution to the cinephiles this week? No, I think what we'll do is we'll re-release all the films with new intros. So you and I are going to record... 
those and hopefully mm -hmm. get Mike Vogel and put them all together. And I think we'll do them each on a different day. They're all going to come out. Not sure what the schedule is yet. Yep, there you go. And then started the week after that, we'll be jumping into Die Hard. Is that correct? 100%. I cannot right. wait. Yeah, it's going to be a yeah. lot of fun. Well, thank you all so much for joining us here. For Oh, wait. Actually, we've got some uh, streamlines that came through. Let me make sure I read them here uh, before we leave uh, this situation. Uh, Doug Developer says, hello again. Industry question. How does Marvel audition their directors for these massive budgeted films? How could they trust the Russo brothers, whose biggest feature was You, Me, and Dupree, and John Watts, who's all, who only made the indie film Cop Car? Steve? Um, so I, you probably would know more about this than me, but what my understanding mm -hmm. is, is that they kind of take pitches. So they have a script or they have a treatment for what their, their next film is going to be. And they bring in what, what I think is so interesting about Kevin Feige is he likes interesting directors and interesting mm -hmm. people. So people, you know, so James Gunn comes in with a pitch for Guardians of the Galaxy and they go, oh my God, that's what we want to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they, they're really looking for the same. I know with WandaVision of like, Here's a here's an interesting take on these characters, which of course, who would have ever come up with that? <laughs> my that's my understanding, right? Um, but they haven't actually asked me in to pitch anything, so <laughs> I don't know for sure. That's funny. I like that. I like what you said. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think they I think they see certain beats in their work and certainly don't don't discount the russo brothers from you me and dupree go and watch all the community episodes that they directed and i think that's where they got their um resume to pitch stuff to marvel and kevin feige just has a lot of faith in the directors that he hires and yeah has he walked away from some like edgar wright or some had some creative diff differences with other directors sure but he knows how to bring out the best in these directors, and he knows how to create a playing field for these directors to bring out the best of their uh, styles and still adhere to the overall MCU vibe, but still have a chance to stand out and do their own thing. And so I think he just has a lot of faith, and he knows how to pick the right directors for the right project. Yeah. I mean, Captain Marvel, you could argue, maybe weren't the best directors for it overall, but uh, most of the time, uh, pretty 95% of the time, Feige and the people involved there, Marvel, are, are on top of who should be directing their movies for sure, Doug. So it's, you can't just focus on one thing. It's conversation. It's other things that are involved in the background. It's a feeling that you can work with this person. This person is amenable to what you want to do. And you can see, and they've got to write the right idea about the character. And that's it. You know, something organic, you can't plan for. When it happens in the room, you know it's the right move. Uh, it's like love, Doug, and someday you, you'll understand. When it's like love, or maybe you have understood. When you meet the right one, you know, there's like you could go. Well, what about those five other boyfriends or girlfriends they had? It's like it's got nothing to do with what's happening here. So, uh, well, be, be, yeah. be, being the cynical one, I'm going to put forth a slightly different uh, perspective, which okay. is I know a lot of people who go like, "That's the one. I found the one," and that ended up not being the one. So, and I think you know the the movie making is yeah. really really hard, and sometimes you bring there are a lot. Every single great director has made movies that are less great. Yeah, and some great directors have made movies that are downright awful yeah and so you can make a lot of the right bets and and because like like i think captain marvel is a lesser film i don't think it's bad no. i think it's it's okay yeah um uh but i think the pitch i could totally see how that pitch sounded absolutely amazing and there were just some things that didn't click emotionally the way i wanted them to right you know but it, making movies it's real real hard 
It is. It is. Uh, all right. Let's get through these three really quick, Steve. Uh, who, uh, Paul asks, uh, would you rank the MCU above the Star Wars cinematic universe? Yes. As would I. By my. I wouldn't. I don't know that any. I, I can't not have my experience of seeing the original Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back when I was a kid. Nothing in the MCU has lived up to that. But that's because I'm an old man, not mm-hmm. a kid. You know, but as in terms of the batting average, there's no comparison. Yeah, that's the way I look at it. Now, is Han Solo better than any of the Marvel Cinematic Universe characters for me? Yes, a thousand percent. Oh, Darth Vader, best villain overall, the MCU characters? Yes, a thousand percent. But overall, the batting average in terms of, as Steve pointed out, in terms of the good movies versus the bad movies, that's why I take the Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah. over the Star Wars Cinematic Universe. Uh, Social 1999 says, to be honest, in my opinion, Endgame Infinity War and Winter Soldier are just perfect entertainment. What a privilege to witness this, this medium just go full tilt. Magic Marvel. Yeah. Okay. That. Yeah. Sure. Uh, David Duvall, our last one here, says, uh, is giving a spy satellite network to a kid really the work of a responsible parent? <laughs> what does that mean? I'm confused by that. Is, is there something there that I'm missing? Who who's a, who? What parent gives their kid a spy satellite network? Yeah. Is is that is that something that uh, Tony Stark did to his child at the end before he left for Endgame? Is that what that is, or when he died in Endgame? Is that the uh, maybe yeah. we're, maybe you know hmm. maybe I feel like I'm I'm feeling pretty dumb at the moment and I'm yeah. missing out on something I should know. D- David, you're in the chat here. Let us know um, uh, what you meant by that as we're wrapping up here before we leave. And shout out to Fawn Photo One for donating three dollars through the super chat. Thank you, Fawn Photo. I don't know if you meant to send a message, but at least uh, the support got through. So thank you all. And thank you to Platinum Kid and Janine uh, for subscribing. And Mario Rodriguez Jr., uh, Bagatella Offroad and Farming, Josh Galen, Aiden, Globin XK, Nirja Gupta, George A. D'Souza, and don't underscore follow for following us and subscribing to the Cinephiles YouTube channel. So thank you all so much for doing so over the last few hours that we've been discussing all of this. Oh, that's the plot from Spider-Man Away From Home. Oh, okay, far away. Uh, With the glasses. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100% agree. Well, and particularly without even giving them an instruction manual. Yeah, I mean, normally when I give you deadly technology that is super powerful, I would want to give you, you know, like a few hints on how to use it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, far from home. Yeah, got it. All right. It's not the it's not the overall plot, but I understand what people are trying to say. All right, let's get on out of here. Thank you all so much, as I said, for as uh, we said, for joining us here and having some fun with us talking Marvel, the MCU, and hearing Steve's top 10 MCU films as well. Steve, where can they find all we got going on here on the Cinephiles? Well, you of course, you can subscribe to the show right here on our YouTube channel if you haven't already. But if you're more of an audio person, then you could subscribe to the podcast version on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, on Anchor, which is our hosting service. Mm-hmm. You can follow the show at Cine underscore files on Twitter, the Cinephiles podcast on Instagram. And if you look right there for me, I am at SR Morris on Twitter at a one to it for Instagram. There you go. And you oh, and follow- I have another pod. Yeah, oh, I have another yeah. podcast, uh, Enterprise Incidents with Scott Mance, where we're counting down the entire original series of Star Trek. And we are going to have a very, very special guest for our episode next week. And I'm not going to say who that special guest is, but he is somebody <laughs> who's very close to me. And I and he, and I cannot wait to have all of you hear us dis- discussing Star Trek together. 
Yeah, and they just had a fantastic guest on the most recent episode as well. So curious to see who your guest is next week. Who could that next person be? <laughs> I wonder. And I wonder how many episodes he's going to be on. Uh, but yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> Thank you all so much. You can follow me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. If and if I may humbly say so, please head on over to my YouTube channel as well, YouTube.com/slash John Roca says. We're ten subscribers away from seventeen thousand subscribers. Wow. Would love to get there and then get to twenty thousand which is the goal by the end of july early august uh the channel has changed we've dropped the politics stuff it's all entertainment and sports and pro wrestling so uh for now that's that's what the channel is so please head on over there and subscribe to it see all the entertainment going on got some uh you know reviews uh uh trailer reactions all that stuff happening there plus my other uh, podcasts the top 10 uh, and uh and uh, uh the geek buddies head on over there and see all the stuff we got going on there as well all right we're out of here. Thank you all so much. Be well. Hope you have a great rest of your Father's Day. And uh, we'll talk to you next time on another brand new episode of the Cinephiles Live. Peace. Until-